0: Welcome to episode three of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 6th of February, 2017. I'm Joe, and with me are Jesse, ladies, <laughs> Ikey, men, and Phelan. Everybody else. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. So uh, yeah, we've got a ton of show today, so we better get straight on with it. Let's start with a bit of news, and exciting news, the KDE Slimbook has been announced at least i don't know if you can actually buy it because when you click through to the website it's all in spanish and uh i'm not using chrome so it didn't translate it no hablo espanol <laughs> i'm afraid not
1: is this am I saying this is the first kde specific laptop that there's been because I, I certainly can't think of another one
2: i would say it is yeah um there was a tablet project but that sort of died out um As far as I know, this is it, yeah. And it looks pretty nice, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got some decent specs. Um, If I was in the market for another one, I'd be pretty tempted by it. I would like to see the build quality on it, obviously, but um, it sounds pretty decent. But you're not going to buy one then because you don't need it? I don't need it, now, so I'm not going to get
0: one. Fair enough. No, it's good, though, that more Linux hardware. I mean, if I bought it, the first thing I'd do is wipe KDE Neon off it and put a proper distro on. That's because you're wrong, but fine. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, at least you guaranteed that this machine is going to work with Linux. I mean, it's like the Dell machines we talked about last time.
2: Yeah, true. Um, I think the more these there are, the better. I mean, it's like all those guys like Zarezen, System76, Enterware, the more the merrier, to be honest. And I think, you know, one or two big manufacturers isn't a great place to be you want to have as many as you
1: can get am i the only person who's surprised there are that many linux sole distributors i, I just i i'm very surprised that they have you know they're able to make enough money for there to be that many people competing in the market because the only one that i um really think is gonna really get a lot of traction in the the mainstream is going to be dell obviously people have heard of them whereas it must only be us little sort of nerds and stuff who are funding EntraWare and things like this.
2: You'd have to wonder how much work goes into actually customizing the kit that is there. I mean, it might be a fairly bog-standard sort of board that they get and they can just essentially customize a few components on it. I don't know. It might be worth talking to someone about it. It'd be an interesting thing to find out, I'd say.
0: Yeah, maybe we should get the EntraWare guys on and uh, big them up because the, the, I think they're the only company in the UK Um in fact, in in Europe, because System seventy six and the Reason are both in the US, aren't they?
2: Yeah, and then you get that horrible keyboard.
0: Yeah, like I've <laughs> got an American um, laptop where the at is in the wrong place. No, wrong.
2: <laughs> that's
1: what that's what Tipex is for, is to make that right again.
2: <laughs> yeah, your lovely LED backed keyboard has been globbed <laughs> of <on> dirty <laughs> Tipex on a black marker. Seamless.
0: I assign it properly, so I just I'm just used to where the at should be,
2: and you know. It's, it's it's like don't press that big red button and you just <laughs> yeah. you just have to
1: okay so you can buy a nice new KDE laptop and assuming it's 64-bit you're all golden if you want to run arch and tails and things on it but which it almost definitely will be but if you have an older laptop what have you it turns out they are dropping support for 32-bit yeah this is a trend that we're seeing isn't it across the
0: board I mean Solus doesn't even support 32-bit at all never has and now Arch and Tails are uh, dropping 32-bit support. And I suppose the question is, in 2017, does that really matter?
3: No. But
1: well, Of course you're going to say that.
3: <laughs> All right, well, look at it this way. So the we, we kind of have this problem in the Linux world where you have your laptop and you keep it 10 years or whatever, which is kind of uncommon these days on account of everyone throws everything away. But assuming you have got the 10-year-old laptop, that's kind of where Linux tends to go. And we've got, almost got this culture, and people refer to it as breathing new life into old hardware. There's only so long you can breathe into something before the lungs give out. And the lungs have well and truly given out. Now, don't get me wrong, 32-bit still has a place. It's just not on desktops and laptops. Even tablets now, I mean, they're 64-bit. And you you got to remember these days, there there are people who are stubbornly not going with 64-bit. They're using a 32-bit operating system on a 64-bit computer. Now, if you've got a computer (coughs) for a (coughs) reason... I may or may not be speaking to you from a 32-bit install. (laughs) Okay, so why do you use a 32-bit operating system on a 64-bit computer? I originally installed it a long time ago um,
0: because I just had had bad experiences with 64 bit OS's and certain software not working properly. Would that be Skype and Flash? I believe so, yes. And um, now I'm just sort of so entrenched. I've just everything set up the, the way I want it. And yeah, I could nuke and pave it quite easily, but there'd be just so much hassle filling, you know, try, copying everything over. And uh, so I've just ended up stuck on it. It's not broken, so I'm not fixing it, sort of thing.
3: Sure. But I mean, five years ago, it was kind of the thing where, 64-bit was a bit dodgy in terms of Linux desktop distros because, as you say, for Skype, you know, you kind of had problems, but then Skype remained 32-bit forever. Uh, Flash, the 64-bit plugin was buggy. You you avoided it. But then all of that went away and 64-bit Linux became reliable. And the reasons I'm seeing about it today, and I even see a comment about this on DistroWatch today, it, it just said, without justifying the comment... The 64-bit operating systems are slow and use more memory. Now, 64-bit does use slightly more memory. We all, we all know this to be true. But it comes with so many benefits. You can actually use more features of your CPU. You can access memory faster. You can have bigger files open in memory than you can on 32-bit because you're limited, literally, to a 32-bit pointer, which means around 3.2 gigabyte, gigabytes of maximum accessible memory on the system. What about with PAE, though? Yeah, but I mean, so per process, you still have the limit. Right. So as much as you might have a system-wide ability to now see more than 32 gigs, uh, 30, <laughs> 3.2 gigs, sorry, um, per process, you still stuck to the limits of 32-bit which doesn't sound like you'd ever cross that boundary, except for when you think about things like Steam, where it's quite easy now for a game to go over that, especially if they're mapping large textures in. You know, you think about the size of a game, you can quite easily see how you'd start to go above that. And if you use Chrome for anything ever, you know, that thing will easily eat your RAM. But 64-bit is moving forward. You have new CPU features you you just can't use them if you're stuck back in a thirty-two bit world, and given that like in the last ten maybe twelve years, basically every laptop and desktop manufactured is sixty-four bit. It needs to die. <laughs> it needs to die.
1: But then, like going back to your one about breathing new life, you know, it's a it's a bit of a cliche. Of those two operating systems we've mentioned, Arch and Tails, I can understand Tails is you know you install it fully and it comes with uh, all the bells and whistles they want, and and that's like. The end piece you look at is how they want it to look and how they want it to run. That's that's fine, and I would say the same for you know KDE, Neon, or Mint or Elementary, what have you, where there you get the full picture when you've installed it. But Arch is like famous for you know you install the absolute bare minimum and then build on top what you want, and that is therefore absolutely perfect for someone who's got an old machine and wants to put as little on it as possible. And it's 32-bit. Of those two, I'm really surprised or just a bit annoyed that Arch is the one that's on that list because, as I say, it's great for going with the absolute core and then just putting you know, the thinnest DE you can put on it or Window Manager and keeping it as lightweight as possible.
3: Right, but I mean, Arch has a history of getting past ancient architecture. If you go back to why Arch Linux first started, which was back in the early 2000s. I think it was around 2002, somewhere around there. The reason they originally started out is they wanted an i686 Linux distribution. Everything at the time was built for i386. And it's a bit of a similar problem now when you're comparing what you can do on a 32-bit as opposed to what you can do on a 64-bit. The CPU features just weren't available to them. So what you had is like distributions like Slackware, Debian, etc. at the time They would have everything built for the i386 and then they might have the kernel itself available as an i686 package. Even to this day, you can still see remnants of that naming lying around in Debian. Arch Linux wanted to change it. They wanted to be built only for i686 at the time. Nowadays, you know, them deprecating an older architecture and wanting to go forward, it's, it's staying true to what they are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I see from the historical point of view. Yes. But the only other, well, the only other distro that I would touch with that same methodology would be, um, the minimal Ubuntu, the, the network version is it, because then you can build on top exactly as you want. Otherwise you get into sort of the ropey world of your Gentoo's and things, which is, uh, steps too far.
0: Yeah. Well, as far as I'm concerned, as long as Ubuntu is available, although actually they're going to move to LXQ cute and ugh, <laughs> don't want to use that. Um, but as as long as Debian is still available for 32-bit, you're all right. And um, also th- this week, I read that 32-bit CentOS is available. So if I, I think the use case for 32-bit machines, say you've got an old laptop, um, if you want a, a low-power server sitting in a cupboard somewhere, I think that's probably more the use case for it than using it as a desktop.
1: But then we had this discussion... On a previous podcast, let's say, and we got a whole load of feedback of people saying, "Yeah, but if you want a low power server, it's not going to be your old laptop right, exactly. or your old like bit of uh, a PC knocking around." You know, yeah, they're
2: ninety watt AMD core bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: You actually want to buy a brand new one for you know two hundred quid. That's that's um, ARM or um, an Atom or you know something small and made to be low power. Yeah,
0: efficiency and all that. Oh well, just chuck them in landfill, eh? That's the solution.
3: Do remember as well, if you're using a 32-bit system, so the, the key difference here is 32-bit versus 64-bit. At the most basic level, this is the word size on the processor. When you go to fetch a bit of memory, you're still fetching the same size memory. You're just only reading part of that. You're still fetching the same size of word. So the operations you're doing are basically equivalent, but you're doing them with less efficiency because you can you're fetching less at a time. So if you've got these one of these newfangled 64-bit system, you know, you, you're you making efficient use of the memory that's there. Okay, sure, you're using more memory, but what memory you're using, you're using more efficiently. And putting a 32-bit OS on a 64-bit system, which is very likely it's going to be 64-bit system, all those fancy features that that system has, which makes it possible to optimize for certain code paths, you're just not going to be able to do it. So you've got every chance of actually making your system less efficient by running a 32 bit operating system on it because you're not using it, how it was designed to be used. Fair enough. Maybe I should
0: um, sort it out and put a 64 bit. um, I'm still on 1404 as well. So maybe I should just put budgie on there. eh? (laughs) The B,
3: which we do not mention.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, all right, well, let's move on quickly then and uh, talk about black phones, which are being bricked, unofficial black market black phones. This was one that uh, you had opinions
3: on, IK. Yeah, it, I mean, this is, to me, is quite astonishing. So, fair enough, you're a company and you're real proud of this security-centric device that you've put out to the world to use. And there are ways of defending your intellectual property this is not how you do that. Um, so these phones are, you know, they're they're considered fraudulent phones or phony phones or just realize exactly how that sounded. <laughs> phony phones, yeah. Phony yeah. phones, yeah.
0: Yeah, phones that uh, were sold on eBay and stuff. Yeah, Mickey, Mouse
3: phones. The- Mickey yeah. Mouse phones, Mickey Mouse phones, <laughs> and they're getting very uptight about it now. The way that they're doing it is they're actually sending out an update to the phone that literally does brick it, so it bricks the cellular network on their phone. Which does
0: it hard brick it? That's what I couldn't. I I tried to read into it, and I'm not sure whether you could just reflash it with something else and make make it work or not.
3: I'm not sure on that either because I've not read any stories yet of anyone managed to reflash them. But it does sound like it's deliberately obliterating the basically the the memory on that controller. Oh, right. Which, so it might be hard brick then. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there is a possibility it's just a software thing and a flash going over the top of it, bum, new firmware. That may fix it, but I've not seen anything to that effect. But the fact that they, they are going to these levels. So let's say that you've just spent, I don't know, 200 quid on eBay for this phone. You don't know that it's a moody phone. It's just turned up and all of a sudden they they do that. Would you consider that theft? Because effectively they've just robbed you. It might be their intellectual property. However, you take that up in a legal fashion with the the people who are vendoring these phony phones. You do not then go and target the users, the ones that may potentially have found out that they had a phony phone. <laughs> well, the way, the way I see it is that I understand
0: why they did it. And to some extent, it's fair enough that these phones are phony, as you say. But it's at the same fair. time... Well, no, it's
3: not fair to the users, is it? No, and- I mean, this is what you do if you're a dickhead. I, yeah, The only polite way of saying it, I mean, this is being a complete and utter dickhead. You know, these people may have found out that these phones were moody, and gone, do you know what, I'm going to go, I'm not going to do this again, I'm not going to get one from eBay, I'm going to go to these guys, and I'm going to get myself a proper phone. Well, nobody's going to do that now, are they? Because they know how malicious, vindictive, and spiteful... These little people are, and they are little people. It's a tiny little company throwing their toys out of plan because oh, somebody copied us. Take them to core Don't target your users and endanger them by bricking their devices. And even all the like. So I've heard people talking about the other angles, like well, you know, you're not going to be able to phone nine nine nine. Well, that doesn't really matter because this is done through an update the chance that you're updating your device and then suddenly need to call (laughs) an ambulance through it, like, unless your phone actually electrocuted you while doing this, you know, then that's not completely not relevant. But what they're doing is they're robbing from people. So, one, you're getting mugged off the first time because you bought a moody phone off of eBay or whatever. The second time, that money that you then had, that you could have taken that up with eBay or whatever, you're being robbed again by these spiteful dickheads. Because somebody copied them. So now you've got a phone that you can't use, which was your property that you own. So who
1: owns the device? Are these phones that have been bought correctly and then resold? Or are these other bits of hardware that someone's just put um, uh, Silent OS on? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? I mean, what Silent Circle is saying
0: is that they are, uh, you know, unofficial phones. But I don't know. Could it be that they are. Um, just being
3: resold but how would they know I suppose they wouldn't be able to tell that would they well they they probably could so I mean this is focused on privacy security so it's probably going to be account based and you're you what you're likely going to find is you've got like a ping home system that uh, is based on your account now as we all know each phone has an IMEI number what they're mm. checking is the IMEI itself so obviously they must be checking that probably against the registered account itself or something similar. Now their particular wording is that it didn't come through them, so they were disable phones that were not purchased through Silent Circles approved channels. Now to me that sounds like it's gone a bit beyond just moody phone or ripoff phone. That is implying secondhand phones. There is that implication, in which case I mean that that's unforgivable. That if that's true. It's totally unforgivable because it's your property. It's your right to sell it on. I mean, within the EU, we're allowed to do this, especially if, you know, it's not a contract phone. You've bought this outright. This is your legal property. They've then sent out this update, completely bricked it, and you now can't sell this phone. So the only person losing out here is the users. Don't mention the EU, Ike. You make me cry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, right, I think we've uh, rattled that one in enough. Uh, let's move on. So, Ike, you've spent how long uh, getting Steam optimized for Solus? Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> All for 0.8% market share. Yay. Mm-hmm. On Linux, that is, not even just Solus. Not even Solus, no. Mostly Ubuntu, you would have thought.
3: <laughs> well, we'll give them the benefit of
0: the doubt. <laughs> but 08 market share, 0.8%, that is piss poor, isn't it?
3: Yeah, the
2: number's growing, though. If you think globally, the whole count of users will be going up. So even if that stays lower, that number's actually still increasing all the time. Still probably fairly decent numbers. It's not even 1%, for fuck's sake.
3: Come it's on. embarrassing.
2: Now, there... Well, if you have a billion pounds and you want to give me
3: 1% of it, I'll take it. A... No, can we have those in euros? <laughs> okay, good point. Damn. Stable investment. Um... <laughs> So, I mean, I look at this two ways. So there, there's such this typical response, like on our Linux, like anytime we hear about anything like this, well, I've only had the survey once. And yeah, me personally, I've only had the Steam survey once and it came around the other day. But then if we're only getting the survey once, then so is everybody else. It's uncommon for them to get the surveys as well, which means the figures do still stand. And, you know, we know. The desktop Linux just isn't that popular yet. And yeah, it shows that if gamers are kind of like the desktop market in a sense, if you can satisfy the, you know, non-amateur gamer, people who actually are dedicated to this, the guys who have all the games, they have their Steam, they have their monitors, you know, like proper gamers, not just casual gamers then for it to be 0.8%, that means we have got a long, long way to go. Talked about people with a battle station. Yeah, like the seats, and then you've got like the, the, the arse-cheek warmers in the seats, <laughs> and you've <got laughs> the head the speakers, <laughs> and everything. I kind of want one, really, <laughs> just for the warmers.
1: So we reckon that Linux is about, what, 3%? Is that the, the latest figure? I think
0: that's what Pornhub said,
1: yeah. Okay, we'll take that one. And so this means that, you know there are significantly more users of Linux who aren't interested in gaming than there are people who are interested in gaming. And is this just because there aren't enough games on Linux? Is that as simple as it is?
3: Or that the porn is better than the games. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think you're right,
0: Jesse. I mean, my understanding as a non-gamer is that while there are a lot of games available for Linux, they are mostly a bit crap. And the, the big you know, GTAs of the world, and I don't even know what the latest first-person shooter is, they tend to not be available.
1: Yeah, although on the um, Telegram group, someone's saying the new Civilization is coming out uh, with a discount on Linux, surprisingly. So uh, maybe some of the bigger games are coming out, or maybe that's just, you know, RTSs are aimed at <laughs> aimed at nerds.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you will find the RTSs on Linux, but if you're talking about your big AAA titles, then no. I mean, a couple of the students, I'm not saying they hate Linux, I'm just <laughs> saying they don't particularly like us. <laughs>
0: well, it's not that they don't like Linux. It's that uh, they like their bottom line.
1: Bethesda. and They,
3: <laughs> they kind of do hate Linux, you know. Mm-hmm. And you can be banned for using wine. Really? Still to this day. Still to this day, you can be banned for using wine. Wow. So I'm not saying they hate Linux. You kind of do. All
1: <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, so. So you will have bought the game. Mm-hmm. You have installed it on your own hardware, mm-hmm. and because it's activated on their server, they can ban you from playing it, and then you can't play it. Pretty surely much. that's surely that's stealing from you. Yeah. I'm just going back to the black phone thing.
3: Yeah, but this is—I mean, this is kind of the world we're in now because some of the, a lot of these games you buy, it's it's all about uh, distri- uh, distributing digital content as opposed yeah, DLC. to DLC. Yeah, I mean, as, as opposed to the days where you had a disc and you put that in a machine that was that was yours. Now when you buy software, you any kind of software and if it's a game it doesn't matter, you don't own that game. N- no game that you buy today do you own. You are basically purchasing a license which is a revocable license. Yeah, same same with music and movies and mm-hmm. everything. Well, you don't own it because intellectual property took over the world. So any of the games that I buy, if, if they don't work, like if I go and buy something on Steam and then, you know, the refund policy it's kind of it's a bit lame and you hope that you get away with it and, you know, well, not get away with it, actually get what you're entitled to. But you can be totally screwed over. Let's say so it's supposed to work with the system. Well, it doesn't, especially the games are for Linux. You know, you go to buy a download these games and I wait in like an hour for this stupid game to download. And then it doesn't work on my system because it for me, because it's using an Ubuntu library or something like that. That would be like on the Linux experience side. And then to get a Windows game, well, from their perspective, it's like, well, it's made for Windows. You know, this license applies to that particular configuration. These are the specifications for our product. And they can revoke it. You're, you get any game now, even on a PlayStation, you have to have an account. Like, I've got a S- Star Wars Battlefront something. I don't know. I had to sign up for an EA account or after I already had it. And even then, they're trying to ram more content in your face. And... PC gaming is pretty much the same way now. Well, I'm glad that I don't bother. Just play Flight Gear. They're
2: sorted. Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Learn to fly, get a skill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Mozilla is finally shutting down uh, the group behind Firefox OS, is the headline here. So Firefox OS died, I think, last year, didn't it, officially? Uh, And now the Connected Devices group, which was... um, who the the sort of department within Mozilla who were making Firefox OS? They have basically fucked them off. So Firefox, into the OS, airlock, yeah,
2: vent to space,
0: <laughs> yeah. Which uh, I mean, the, the whole Firefox OS thing presumably was something you were keen on, Phelan being. Yeah, it, right? yeah.
2: I had two of the phones. I had the orange one, which I've actually blanked on what it's called now. and um, was uh, a
0: T Open, was it?
2: That's the one, yeah. And I had the Geeks phone. Uh, oh, what was the model? It was a larger white one. I think it was the third one that they had. Um, it's all right,
1: Phelan, no one else remembers either. Yeah, <laughs> I know.
2: It, it was a 86 processor on it, which was interesting for battery life. Let's put it that way. And um, yeah, bye. Don't come back.
1: Did you ever go fully over to using either of those phones?
2: I couldn't. It was just pointless. It was just a joke. I mean, I had a fairly minimal set of things I wanted. I wanted, you know, chat, so uh, XMPP. um, I wanted to be able to access my email, multiple accounts. I mean, I'm not talking about 10 here. I'm talking about two. um, And, you know, a bit of web browsing. So then you have a browser that's tied to the OS version. Yeah, which you can't update it. Yeah. Oh, congratulations! Who thought that one? It's not like Firefox gets updates routinely. Oh wait, yeah. And then you have a browser where you really can't change focus because when you do, your chat app mm, sort of works, doesn't? ah, Who knows? And then you know you don't get messages. Junk, absolute junk. And I wanted to like it. I really did. I thought it was a great idea, but nah, farcical. Bye. See you later. Don't let the door hit you on the way out.
1: Uh.
3: Uh, so you use Firefox on a desktop before, right? I'm, I just want to clarify here. You've used uh, Firefox. I, I use browser. it right now, yeah. Right. And then after having used Firefox, you know, and knowing about there's other browsers in the world and we won't talk about Chrome or Chromium or ungoogled Chromium, we won't talk about those, but having used Firefox, and I'm assuming for a considerable length of time. You then went and bought a phone, which was powered by Firefox, and the entire thing was HTML. Well, okay. Powered by Firefox. I didn't think it was literally going to be a single
2: static version of the browser was gonna power it. It's literally powered by Firefox. Yes. The whole yes. UI is just a web page, essentially. It's just HTML finding. The warnings were there. Clearly I didn't read them. <laughs> <laughs> you
3: still bought it. So this is in contrary to the previous stuff of users being robbed, this is one where we all collectively say lol.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Job. <laughs> <Shut up. laughs> <laughs> I just want hey, to get that I, I like Mozilla. I uh, well, I would like them to kind of be a bit better at what they're doing cuz I think they're wasting loads of resources and effort on things that they shouldn't. Um, good job. They got um, billions of dollars coming in from
0: Yahoo then.
2: Yeah. Yeah, good look at that. <laughs> but I mean, if they were to actually I mean, I can see, you know, there's got to be a better solution for mobiles. You can't just use Android open That's not going to be viable in the future potentially because Google might kill it or make it more proprietary mm-hmm. or even kill off the kernel level change it over to proprietary one who knows um you know it, you, they've got to do something there but it this just wasn't the way to go tyson maybe <laughs> maybe you never
0: know you never know but that doesn't that's not quite as open is it i mean firefox os for all its sins was completely open source Apart yeah. from the the, uh, the blobs needed to run the hardware.
3: Yeah, uh, the mobile competing OS's basically all do the same thing. Let's be Linux based. Okay, this seems good. What's hot technology at the moment? Like nowadays, it's like WebGL, then it was HTML5. It's like, this would be great. Nobody's done this before ah, but all of these devices basically need to be Android compatible. That's what the hardware is designed for. Okay, so let's put in LibHybris. Okay, that's in there. And we'll just pretend that we don't have the proprietary drivers in the background to actually make the device work. And that's the foundation of any new mobile operating system today.
2: Just stop making a phone so stupidly thin. And they could actually put harder in there that maybe they don't have to have the latest generation. They could actually maybe get open firmware on. Because let's face it, first thing you do with the phone, you buy a case for it. And what does it do? makes it three times as big. So you don't drop it and smash your precious into bits. So yep. just cop on, lads, honestly. Mm.
0: Well, uh, you said we're not going to talk about Chromium. We are going to talk about Chromium. Because there is a Reddit thread uh, on uh r slash solus project where someone said i don't want to use chrome please package chromium and you said haha no and the reasons why you said no i think are interesting because he's chrome, a bastard <laughs> yeah you, you you hate your users you want to force them to use non-free proprietary software with chrome instead yeah that was some of it <laughs> <laughs> but you said in this thread that chromium isn't as free as people think it is. I mean, my understanding was that it was free software.
3: Ish. (laughs) So Chromium itself is free in source code, right? Now, you can have something be free and still need things to run. A perfect example of this is the Linux kernel. The Linux kernel itself can be completely Libra but you still need that firmware to be useful. And the the same kind of thing is true for Chromium. You actually need an API key. So I was like, okay, I'll go and investigate where I, what do you mean I need it from Google? (laughs) I thought the idea was Chromium was like the open source Google Chrome, and you didn't need to do this stuff. But No, you need an API key. So I was like, okay, why do I need one of these API keys? To access the Google services. From Chromium,
0: which and by Google, so you're not talking about Gmail and stuff. You're talking about um, Google like servers
3: the- infrastructure. Yeah. So this is to power of things like the Web Store. Obviously, it uh, allows it to power the ability to get Wine Divine. Now, I'm being very specific about that. That's the ability to get Wine find It doesn't use it. It doesn't ship with it by default, but it is compatible with it. But then Google does own the company, so you know that's kind of a given. um to use a lot of its functions, like, uh, basically powering the built-in search, the ability to use any of the web store or some of the extensions. It's all still needing Google bits. And because of this, this is why you now have projects like ungoogled Chromium that now exist because as, as open source as Chromium is, you cannot use it in its stock form without Google, which very much makes it unfree. And the fact that it still needs the Google services to run, how free is it really when there is still a proprietary back-end powering it? Even if it is over in the internet, if it's still a runtime requirement, then it's not free, is it? Yeah, and that's why it's not in Triscoll, basically. Yeah, and they've they've had a couple of threads come up over the years about this, and it's basically come back to the same thing each time. It's, like, it, it's, it's not free, it's supposed to be. It's free-ish. For the most part. But yeah, and hopefully with these projects coming around these days, and you know, there's, there's been a couple of suggestions, you know, like you've got Ion Browser and Iridium and all these kind of guys, but I, d- I don't know whether I'd want to put my trust into them because a web browser is a, something you want to be maintained by a big group people who know what they're doing. So if they're going to take a fork of the Chromium code base, you know, you're putting your credit card details into there and your login details. You want that stuff to be secure as you can. The one that looks like it has the most potential for doing things right is ungoogled Chromium, because whereas they might have started out on the wrong foot, which was attempting a fork, essentially, they now have a set of automated scripts, which will ungoogle <laughs> the code base in an automated fashion. So it's maintainable and they can keep rebasing constantly against the upstream code- Chromium code base. And I think that's something that would probably resonate with Phelan. Yeah, use Firefox.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, Phelan. Like, you, I know you're very big into the freedom side of things, and you know, Jesse, you use Chrome, so you're out of this discussion. I'm afraid. Oh, Don't be,
1: <laughs> don't make this big assumption. I've I've switched entirely over to Opera.
0: Oh yeah, you've yeah, another big, just bloated, um, proprietary Chromium wrapper Yeah. All right, so, yeah, you're you're still out of the conversation, I'm afraid. But, Phelim, you use Firefox. Have you ever tried Chromium, I and mean, why don't you use Chromium?
2: Um, I didn't use Chromium because it was all tied to Google stuff. I just thought the easiest way to deal with that is just not try it. I mean, had I never tried Flash videos, I wouldn't have ever had to use proprietary plugins in the browser. Yeah, uh, you can get away with it now. I mean, I've got Flash now, so I don't care. So most things are HTML5 anyway, so that's great. But, you know, it's it's very hard to try something, use it, and go, my God, this is great, but uh, it doesn't gel with my ideals. I'll just not use it now. It's very hard to go back. So you're almost better off not to try it. Yeah, that's why you never flash the Google apps on Android. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if if I don't use them, I can't know what I'm missing as such, and I'll find a way to get around and do the things I want to do without being kind of tied into the idea that I must use this particular way of doing something. Um, You've kind of got to think more about the actions you want to do rather than the way you're getting there that everybody else is using too. It doesn't always work, but you
0: always try it. Yeah, I mean, I've been stuck on Firefox for a very long time just because I'm too lazy to make the transition and move over is, to
2: Chrome. 32-bit Firefox,
0: yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's for the same reason. The same reason I still haven't flashed Lineage on my main phone because I'm just too lazy, basically. Um, and now... I, I didn't know about this stuff. I I'd, I'd remember Debian getting into some trouble um, for it sucking down some binaries um, before, but I thought they'd fixed that, and therefore it wasn't a problem anymore. So this has been really enlightening, reading that thread. And um, so I think I'm going to stick with Firefox for the time being, as slow
3: as it is. Good man. It's fine. <laughs> what it's worth, Firefox is getting there. It's, it's getting there slowly because... Bless Mozilla, but they like their squirrels. They really like their squirrels. And yeah. the whole thing with the phone is like a two year distraction, which seriously, seriously regressed their market position. And, you know, people look at them. They're, just, they're not taking them as seriously as they used to. It's just, it's the sad truth of it. But the, they are getting to a point now where they're going to be enabling things like multi process architecture, which is a necessity if they want to compete with Chrome because Chrome owns the web because it's google you know they literally owns the internet and in terms of market dominance you know nobody is stepping toe-to-toe with chrome firefox is the only one that'll be able to do it and you know we're all kind of hoping in our you know from our free software stance that it can do it and they can go toe-to-toe with it all right it's had to make some compromises because people want things like netflix you know you can't have your cake and eat it but they are getting there, and once they start turning things on over the next few releases, I think we might just be there. I mean, the most important one for them to do is to enable the multi-process architecture out of the box so that mm. each tab is its own process and it doesn't get sluggish. Once that's in, I think people will start to reevaluate Firefox as a serious contender again. Yeah, and I'll buy some more RAM and then I'll be fine hmm. on that one.
2: <laughs> and Netflix, if you're listening, because clearly you will be, would you bloody enable Firefox support for the videos? It works as works since 49 and up to 51 right now. I still have to use the stupid agent switcher for God's sake. I do not want to install
3: Silverlight. No one ever wanted to install Silverlight. Ah, <laughs> oh, don't my old bank used to do that? You are used, It was Lloyd's Bank as well when I was over in the UK. It had the audacity to show this little picture up on the side. You are now using secure banking, and then it say you are missing a plugin. Go and check what the plugin is. Man, it was Silverlight. You just look um, at it, fuck off. <laughs> Close that straight away. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: right, bit of admin then. Um, if you want to get in contact, go to latenightlinux.com slash contact and you'll see all the various ways to do that. Uh, show at latenightlinux.com is the email, and um, there's Twitter and Google Plus and Facebook, that sort of thing, and also our Telegram group, which we were so close to having the same number as Ubuntu Podcast, and then they tweeted out a link and just absolutely destroyed us. So, um, yeah, go to latenightlinux.com slash Telegram if you want to uh, chat to us, usually in the middle of the night when I'm drunk coming home from central London on the night bus because I've missed the tube. Um and oh, yeah, also, uh, Ike has been whoring around, it seems. He's been on the Destination Linux podcast, which I will link to in the show notes, where
3: you spoke for two plus hours about Solus. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a little trick you have to learn with me. If you give me a mic, <laughs> I'm gonna keep talking.
1: Yeah, I've noticed. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're learning. We're learning.
3: So if you have terrible wax buildup, you know where to go.
1: Yeah, pretty
3: much. You know, I'm. You know the meme that you used to see going around on Google Plus, where the little penguin stopping the man up in the Arctic. Do you have a moment to talk about Linux? <laughs> That's kind of me with solace. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but good plug-in of
0: us on there, so I thought it was worth plugging them, Destination Linux. It's uh, it's certainly more um, safe for work than this, isn't it? So, yeah, if you, if you can't listen to us at work, you can definitely listen to them.
1: Just a quick uh, community shout-out before we get on. I've got... I've got a- a friend, this is basically a request. I have a friend who's looking at moving away from Apple and the only thing that's keeping him tied uh, is Final Cut. So he does a lot of video editing and needs that, that level of professionalism and is looking for the equivalent on Linux. Now I've suggested Lightworks. I know it's the classic joke and I did laugh when he asked. Uh, I've suggested Lightworks, but if anyone knows of any other sort of very high-end professional-level um, video editing software on Linux that would allow that transition, you know, with some sort of nod towards Final Cut usage. That'd be great. Get in touch. Jobs uh, an email or, or on the uh, Telegram, what have you.
0: Yeah. Good luck with
1: that. Is all I can
0: say. Canadian <laughs> Live.
1: You're fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I said professional.
2: Uh,
0: I've used. I've used that. Have i Have used Open Shot? I've used, I've used um, the, the other one with the beginning of the A, and uh what's it called a Vidimux.
3: yeah it left such a lasting impression on you from the quality <laughs> yeah. and the joy it brought to your life
0: i've settled on open for my video editing needs it reminds me of windows movie maker i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> Jesus.
1: <laughs> I, i've done the same thing I, I do a lot of uh time-lapse things and i have to say i've settled on that because it's like not quite like paint but paint just sort of did some basic things and and it didn't get overly complicated, and that's exactly. kind of where OpenShot is as well. If yeah. you
2: wanted your circle square, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, right. Anyway, so we've got an interview, um, and that interview is with uh, Ubuntu Martin Martin Wimpress of Ubuntu Mate, the the founder and maintainer of that lead developer and also uh, of Ubuntu podcast fame. So it's just me as well um, interviewing him. So uh, here we go. Welcome to the show, Martin. Thank you. So you sent me a Raspberry Pi image the other day of Ubuntu Mate
4: 16.04.2. And there's some interesting things in it, aren't there? Uh, I hope so, yes. And there's a few more that I've added since you got that ho- hold of that image as well. All right. So uh, which wh- what did you find interesting?
0: Well, some of the video stuff uh, that you described to me, which I haven't actually been able to test because I don't have, for shame, uh, a Raspberry Pi camera to plug
4: in. But if you do, then you can do HD streaming out of the Pi now. That's the plan, yeah. And uh, I'm in the same boat as you. I don't have a Raspberry Pi camera module. So this is theory rather than practice from from my side. But um, uh, for a while now, FFmpeg has had the ability to enable what's called MML uh and that's the hardware uh, accelerated decoding of video on the raspberry pi Um, and that supports several different formats and that was in the original version of ubuntu mate 1604 for the pi but what i've added this time round is in newer versions of ffmpeg i think since 3.1 there's also an omx encoder hardware encoder available so i've backported ffmpeg 3.2 into uh, the um, PPA that I use to build these PI images. And I've enabled the ML decoder and the OMX encoder. And the reason I've done that is that um, I've seen a number of people talking about projects with the camera module and they either want to take um, time-lapse photos and then stitch them together after the fact or they want to stream video live on the Pi. And doing that on the CPU is simply not possible, but doing it with the hardware accelerated encoder, it's extremely possible. But actually compiling FFmpeg to do that on the Pi is, if you've not done it, it's complicated and it takes a long time. So I've, I've put the effort in to build that in. So if you want to do streaming product, projects and video projects on the Pi now, hopefully FFmpeg in the next release of Ubuntu Mate will make that a whole lot easier.
0: All right. And also, it's been a while since I've used Ubuntu Mate on the Pi, but it felt a little bit snappier. I don't know if that was my imagination.
4: I hope not. I think there's there's a few things I've changed to actually try and um, get some performance improvement out of Ubuntu Mate on the Pi. So the first is um, I've optimized the um, partition offsets on the disk image so that those stride widths are now... Uh, As optimal as possible. Um, And then I've made some changes to the way the X4 file system is created, again, to optimize it for the Pi. So hopefully the file system is a little bit better. And then what I went and did is I looked at all of the um, services that were running on the Pi. um, And there's probably about half a dozen there that really don't need to be running on the Raspberry Pi version at all. Um, And I've um, added some extra facilities in the image builder to disable those services at build time. So they're just simply not up and running on the Raspberry Pi at all as a result. So consequently, that brings down the RAM overhead and any CPU cycles that those services would be consuming. That's good. I swear I told you
0: about that a while ago, didn't I? Like the Optimus, NVIDIA Optimus stuff. Why does that need to be running, for example?
4: Um, oh, actually, that's another one I could uh, turn off on the Pi, but that doesn't, that isn't actually a persistent um, executable. So on the PC, what that Mate Optimus does is it actually um, enumerates the video cards you've got. And if you have Intel and NVIDIA and the appropriate drivers, then the tray icon will appear to give you control over switching between Intel and NVIDIA. But if you don't have all three of those things it, it doesn't actually do anything it just um quits so it isn't taking up memory it's just a thing that starts enumerates the system and then closes but on the pi that's actually another one i could remove so i'll uh, i'll make a note of that ah oh, good
0: yeah, it's always annoyed me like why is it what's it doing there there's no way you're going to have nvidia graphics on a pi <laughs> and another speaking of the file system um it gets resized automatically on first boot now, doesn't it?
4: It does, yes, and I've uh, blatantly stolen that from the work that the Raspberry Pi Foundation have done.
0: (laughs) Well, that's the beauty of open source. It's not stealing, is it?
4: it, This is precisely the point. Yeah, you can can go and look at all of the improvements and advancements that have been made in Raspbian since last time I updated the image from the Pi and then roll all of those back into Ubuntu Mate. And and the plan here is with this release to... um, get back to a point where everything that's new and has changed in Raspberry Pi in Raspbian is now in Ubuntu Mate. And hopefully we've added a few new bits to, um, to help improve the Ubuntu Mate experience a little bit more as well.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What does this offer? What does Ubuntu Mate offer over Raspbian?
4: Well, we've touched on the FFmpeg um, side of things. Um so that that's now built in so you've got hardware encoding and decoding out of the box which I think a lot of people uh with camera projects will find compelling. Um the other thing so um a friend of yours your old co-host from Pi podcast Albert has also been testing these images and he's had some good feedback. Um, So one of the other things that's different with Ubuntu Mate, of course, is when you boot it the first time after it's resized the file system for you automatically, you go through the Ubiquity configuration. So you get to choose your own um, username and password and locale and all of the rest of it. So I think that sort of first boot out of box experience is better on Ubuntu Mate.
0: Well, it's a bit of a double edged sword, though, isn't it? That it's you're not. Straight into it. You can't use it straight away. You've got to sit there for, well, I mean, the best part of half an hour, really, while it's doing its thing.
4: Yeah. But I think that there is a security upside there because you don't have a default username and password on the system.
0: Yeah. You're not contributing to the botnet.
4: Yeah. Yeah, so there's an advantage there, and I I think that's good as well because people in other countries, the first boot of the Raspberry Pi, if you're in France, is all in English, and then you have to actually find your way around to get it into French, for example, and keyboard layouts, whereas that's all done up front on Ubuntu Mate. Um, And the other thing that um, we focus on is I try to do the best thing I can with regards to um, security. So as as you're aware, um sudo is a passwordless um facility on Raspbian. Yep. So the default pi user c- can execute any command as root just by prefixing it with sudo and there's no password authentication and that's not how Ubuntu works and I've maintained that. So some of the packages that I've sort of ported across to Ubuntu, I've had to remove uh, pieces where it assume where programs assume they can just sudo prefix and exec things as root and one example there is scratch which um wants to bring up um gpiod and shut it down as part of its launcher and i've had to find ways to pull that out so that it's not you know exposing sudo to everything all of the time you're very diplomatic. That's not how Ubuntu does it. You say when you mean that's not how it should be done in Linux full <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, uh, that's what I think. I don't think that that's the way it should be done. You can understand to some extent why it's that way because a lot of people coming to the Raspberry Pi aren't familiar with Linux and it's another hurdle, but I don't think typing a password in is too much of um, a hurdle. And with things like PolicyKit, you know, these things can be overcome. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I mentioned Albert earlier. So he's he pointed out that things like um uh, scratch weren't working properly because I hadn't found all of the places where you know it was expecting to be able to pseudo exec things which I've I've now fixed. But the other thing is that Albert's got a Pi top seed and he pointed out that um that has some uh SPI interfaces to control the hub and the screen. And on Ubuntu Mate, when you shut down, it doesn't shut down all of the internals of the PyTOP seed. And he sent me an article uh, and a GitHub link to the PyTOP utilities to properly power off the device and also control the brightness of the screen. So one of the things I've done uh, over the weekend is I've... um forked and ported uh raspy config which if you've used a raspberry pi is the console based utility that enables you to configure config- a number of facilities of the pi board itself so enabling i squared c and sbi and changing the audio output and all all manner of things and i've removed things from there that we simply don't need in ubuntu mate and then one feature that i've added is um, pi top seed compatibility so you can now go in there and say that you're using a pi top seed enable that support and it'll hook up the necessary system d units and um spi interfaces so that the thing will properly power off uh, when you're done so that's another little you know nice touch if you've got a pi top which are uh, growing in popularity in the Raspberry Pi community yeah so, um, before we wrap it up, one last thing. I said it
0: felt snappier. Everything mm-hmm. apart from one elephant in the room. Go on, the mate
4: menu. Uh, okay. When
0: are we getting Brisk to replace this?
4: Uh, well, not on sixteen oh four ever, um, ah. and that's because Brisk is a GTK three application. So, um, yeah, you can talk to Aiki about this a bit a bit more. Maybe get him to talk about what Brisk is. But Brisk is an efficient menu for Mate. And it's available in a PPA for 1610 and 1704. Uh, It's been packaged for Debian and uh, submitted to Debian, but because they're in Debian 9 freeze right now, it is in limbo. So as soon as Debian 9 is released, those packages will land in Unstable, in, in what will become the new Debian Unstable, And will then automatically sync to ubuntu and it will become available in debian and ubuntu and at that point it will be available in ubuntu Mate. so are we looking at 1804 then uh oh no not that far out no 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 um hopefully uh with a bit of luck and a following wind um brisk will be in 1704 all right failing that it'll definitely be in um, 1710 Um, and i'm also hoping to uh, revisit raspberry pi images for 1704 as well and the thing that i'm hoping to change this time around is swap out the raspberry pi foundation kernel for the ubuntu kernel so you get a a proper ubuntu top to bottom uh distro for the raspberry pi um, rather than you know what i've done uh, which is you know using the the foundation kernel on top of what is ubuntu mate user space
0: Oh, that's good, because, yeah, at the moment, you're just sharing the kernel, aren't you? So I didn't know that there was going to be an Ubuntu kernel that would work with the Raspberry Pi. That's interesting.
4: Well, there is already an Ubuntu kernel that works with the Raspberry Pi. Um, There's one for 16.04, um, and there's actually Ubuntu Classic Images for the Raspberry Pi that you can download, so official, you know, uh, Ubuntu images, server images, This is um, that's available for the Pi 2 and the Pi 3. So that's your apt install, you know, traditional servers, and there's also Ubuntu Core, which is the new, um, you know, Snappy stuff. Um, yeah, I knew
0: that was available. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I didn't know there was this kind of standard apt.
4: Yeah, there's both, um, and um, obviously Ubuntu Mate is the odd duck there because it doesn't have the Ubuntu kernel, so it's it, it's missing out on some stuff from a from the Ubuntu world as a result, and I'd like to uh, like to get that addressed. But, um, yeah, there's um, Pi images for um, Pi kernels ever since 1604. Um, But I wasn't fully up to speed with all of that at that time because I wasn't working at Canonical and I wasn't really aware of all of the developments that were going on in the Raspberry Pi space. And I'm uh, I'm obviously in touch with all of those people now.
0: Ah, Great. And, uh, yeah, hopefully it won't be so long between releases next time for the Pi, eh?
4: Yeah, well, I, so I was hoping to do a 1604.1, um, but that happened to coincide with the week I was in Heidelberg at the Snappy Sprint where I'd been invited to, uh, you know, contribute as a community contributor. So consequently, I missed that opportunity to build an image in the freeze window of the archive. Um, so it just didn't happen. Uh, so this time around, I decided that we were definitely going to do a, a dot two. But I was going to put the extra effort in. So some of this work that we're discussing now was work I did over the Christmas holidays um, to make the sixteen oh four image, um, you know, really good and uh, add some choice features that hopefully people will f- find compelling and useful in their projects.
0: And when are we expecting sixteen oh four point two to drop? Then
4: uh, hope as we record this later this week, hopefully.
0: Yeah, cuz it's been delayed, hasn't it? So let's hope that that gets sorted. Yeah,
4: yeah, there's been there's been a couple of snags uh, on the road to this release, but I'm hoping um in a few days, yeah, as we record this, yeah.
0: Okay, great. Well, yeah, thanks a lot for coming on and uh yeah, the first guest on yet another of my new shows. Well done.
4: Yeah, I know. It's a it's a, a trend we'll have to continue. So when you start your next podcast, do invite me on as the first guest, please.
0: Yeah, we'll do. Nice awesome. son. Cheers. Right, this would normally be the point where we'd all say, "Oh, that was a great interview," but you lot haven't heard it because I only recorded it about an hour ago. So uh, it was just... a great
1: interview. All <laughs> the same. Uh, so insightful. <laughs> Loved it. I disagreed towards the end, but yeah, I'd say generally okay.
0: <laughs> and uh, Martin, shortly afterwards, messaged me to say that he forgot to mention Bluetooth. So I'm sure that'll be in the release notes once uh, once it's officially released. The uh, 1604.2. With a bullet point, it doesn't work.
1: <laughs> and remind me again, the Raspberry Pi 3 doesn't have Bluetooth on it
0: No, the 3 has Bluetooth and Wi-Fi
1: It does, okay Yeah. I'll, I'll get to this modern version of uh, Raspberry Pi eventually
0: Yeah, well, it, uh, this mumble server seems to be working alright And isn't this on a 2 or is this on an original one?
1: No, this is a 2 I've got like 3 originals kicking around And if you want low power, you get a 0 If you want something that's useful, you get you know a 3 now mm. And so I've just got these sort of dead Raspberry Pis
3: well, that's why I gave my two to Paddy. I have a confession. I kind of want a Raspberry Pi. Oh, have you not got any? No. Um. So I don't want this to come off wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: uh, no, I haven't got any spare. Sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Excuse me.
3: <laughs> have you got any more, sir? Um. So a couple of years ago, I bought myself an Intel Galileo. Now, as I said, I don't want this to come off wrong. <laughs> Galileo. <laughs> Right, and I didn't quite research this. Now, the Intel Galileo is great for what it's intended for. Who do you work for, Ike? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a proper company man, isn't he? It's just... Use Intel. Use Intel. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, no. So I'd seen the Raspberry Pi and things, and I thought, well, I'm going to get one from work. Like, it's basically the same thing, right? You know, it's it's a board-looking thing, that you plug wires into and send things from the computer. And then before you know it, you'll have flash inlets and web servers and Skynet and pizza delivery systems. Now, I'd seen the Raspberry Pi and it had HDMI and all this stuff. So I naturally assumed <laughs> this was the same thing. It was not. <laughs> it was very much not. <laughs> so it it's intended for even lower level embedded stuff, like literally just breadboards. So I was very confused when I found the complete lack of HDMI on there. And I think it was something like a 400 megahertz processor. Ouch. Hmm. So I would like to buy a Raspberry Pi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: it's Well, no wonder you didn't use the uh, Galileo. I'm just reading about it now. Uh, it's
3: got a 32-bit. Processor, so
0: it's it <laughs> dead to you. <laughs> there
3: you go. Yeah, I mean, it has its specific uses. And me being me, what did I want to do straight away? Whack a Linux distro on there. Yeah. Didn't quite work.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, right. So this is the bit where Ike probably goes and has a cup of tea uh, because Jesse has recently abandoned Chaos, which was uh, KDE. Is it Debian based? No, it's, it's built from scratch. All right. Okay. So on your laptop, which you uh, are a bit carefree about what you you just sort of kind of chuck distros on there to try them out. And so you've wiped that off and put Ubuntu
3: Budgie on, which is uh, Ike's favorite distro, isn't it? <laughs> no, that's not how you spell Solus. There's a problem in the notes here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Ubuntu Budgie Remix is uh, the Ubuntu base with Budgie on top. So it's a lot like Zubuntu or Ubuntu GNOME, I guess. And it means that... I suppose there are three areas of which I'm going to comment. There's going to be obviously the Ubuntu-type things that, that that are installed and how Ubuntu works. There's Budgie as the desktop environment you interface with. But then I think I'm right in saying that there's a lot of GNOME in, in Budgie. So there are some apps, for example, that are uh, straight GNOME apps. I'm right in saying that. Yep. So is the calendar a GNOME app? Which calendar? Keeping in mind I have
3: not used Ubuntu Budgie, so well, you've not even looked at it. I've seen screenshots. Yeah. I. but you never installed it. Well, I, I get the emails and the pings and the IRC conversations and I, I hear enough that I don't <laughs> that I don't need to download it. That's it.
1: Okay, that's fine. I'll 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 not uh I I'll assume that a lot of these are, are not defaults that you would have had had.
3: Yeah, Budgie doesn't have applications at all.
1: Okay, fine. So they have the the clock at the top, which is the same as GNOME, the panels at the top. Um, and you click on that thinking, well, the clock will obviously show me what the date is, because that's what clocks do when you click on them. But no, you click on it, and it gives you calendar settings or view calendar as two options. And so to actually find what the date is is about three clicks worth of <laughs> faffing around. It was just really annoying. And you couldn't change it to have the date and time at the top. It was just the time. And you could change it to 2412. Like there's there's a lot of little annoyances like that. Um I think the one that got me the most, certainly coming from GNOME, was the fact that the most of the icons are very small and this is a budgy thing. Like on the window decoration, the closed windows and stuff are they're quite Small, and I don't want to have to spend my time aiming for something to hit. I just want to smash it with my mouse and and get on with it in sort of a slapdash type way. So that that was a bit annoying, I have to admit. Um, also, when you start up, there's the there's the Buggy Launcher, which is fine, and in there there's a software center called Software. It's just confusing calling the thing that you're wanting to install the do you see what I mean? It's called software, but it does software. Isn't that a GNOME thing? Isn't it GNOME software? I don't know. And if it is, it's something they need to sort out as well. or yeah, it's like the... that file browser is called Files. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and videos just... is called videos. Yeah, you're right. Actually, it's a it's a GNOME issue. But I use because I use an Arch base. Um, it doesn't have software on this, so I I don't have it. Um, I have to say, when speaking of files. A budgie has sort of put like an elegant little transparency on the left-hand side where the um, where the file tree is, which I thought was a very slick little addition, and I was a bit jealous of that if I'm honest. That was uh, that was pretty nice. Um, There's also an oddity, another oddity, where I wanted to do an update. No, no updates popped up automatically, so you know, negative one for whoever put that system in. And so I typed in software into the search menu, which is not the new menu yet is it
0: <laughs> no it's not it is it's not okay no well and like the, the there's only one menu in Budgie, isn't there the, the
3: brisk menu is not yeah brisk menu is uh, mate it's going to be back for 10.3 i'm going to be backporting the functionality of brisk over to there and okay. i will answer the Budgie issues for you momentarily
1: okay um so i typed in uh software in order to Uh, find some software and there's (laughs) one version called software and updates and one version called software updater
0: (laughs) yeah and software and updates just takes you to like the repo settings and stuff doesn't it
1: exactly yeah so you can add ppas and repos like you say and i i just thought someone needs to spend a bit more time with their naming and uh it it wasn't as, as obvious as I had maybe thought.
0: Um, can we talk about some of the good things that I because I spun this up very briefly, having installed Solus on my Chromebook, and can I just tell you, Ike, some of the things that they're doing better than you are? First of all, they enable the desktop by default, which you can do in Solus, mm-hmm. but why the hell would you not have a desktop? Because most Solus users don't use it. Well, okay. Fair enough. Um, and the other thing is, the the mouse pointer is white with a black uh, outline, not the stupid <laughs> bloody KDE one that you've got.
3: Yeah, I'll change that.
1: <laughs> I like that we're allowed to make requests directly for changes. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> So I, the thing that I think worked best of any Linux distribution that I've uh, had the pleasure of using was um, the accounts. So I added my Google account, I added my Pocket account, and the calendar instantly recognised all my um, calendar items. And when it came to adding stuff to Pocket, it was really, really slick very quick. So that was really good. And it means that you get Google Drive in files, which I think is a GNOME edition. So but it just means that the... The interface between where you store or where I now store nearly all my files, i.e. somewhere in a cloud, and how you have to get to that, not having to go through a browser and what have you, makes, makes that whole experience a lot slicker.
0: One thing you didn't say, presumably this was 16.10 you were trying, um, the first release since they uh, became an official flavor.
1: Yeah, I got the latest one.
0: Yeah, you would do, Arch user. <laughs> I would have gone for 16.04.
1: <laughs> so, are you going to leave it on your laptop? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't mean that well, obviously it sounds a bit harsh, but it's it's not pure as the way that the creator intended. And there are you know, I would rather have either the pure version or GNOME. I'm I'm, you know, a bit of a GNOME fan, so uh, it, it's not staying on for very long. It was more that Chaos was had a couple of niggles and issues and they eventually got to the point where i couldn't take it anymore and i just thought i'd have a quick quick look around i've clearly been brainwashed by talking to you,
0: <laughs> not well enough though because you didn't put solus on it bitch uh
1: yeah we've looked at solus previously so I, I knew what it was all about i wanted to see what this new contender had
0: yeah fair enough all right well speaking of solus um after we finished recording last time You promised, Ike, to not drop any big Solus
3: news that we would be forced to cover. I can't help it. I can't help it.
1: Before we
3: Uh, go to that, can I just answer some of those comments about Budgie? And I'm totally fine with it. (laughs) (laughs) I would just like to address some of the things. Um, So you mentioned about the theming, that it's nice and you have the transparency. That's actually the ARC theme. And... We work direct. well, we, I <laughs> uh, work directly with the theme or for Horst on that theme, which is probably one of the most popular GTK themes now for Linux. And, you know, solo shipped with that as part of Budgie 10. That was the default styling and all the default styling in Budgie is for ARC. That's why you have that nice level of integration there. Um, we do. You're literally being a theme hipster. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Universe. Like we had it first. Okay. Yeah. And I'm at actually in talks of him now to provide the next theme for for Buddy 11. Because <laughs> it's not cool enough anymore yeah, nowadays, like, well, isn't it? Fuck everyone else. <laughs> I'll go straight to the source. <laughs> um for the Gnome apps, we you know we leverage a lot of those. So GNOME online accounts, it's what's providing the Google Drive functionality, pocket and such. That should be available on any GNOME distro that you go for. So that stuff should tie in automatically. Nautilus handles all that stuff, so you should be good there. Um, the Welcome app is, I, I, do, I think it was a fork of the Manjaro one, which is a fork of the Mate one. There's like a Welcome app that's been doing around for Linux for quite a while, but that's not part of Budgie itself. Um, you probably assume we have a different layout in, I guess you'd call it stock Budgie. Um, What was that issue that you said? Uh, right, so the calendar popping up for the clock. I will give you that. The clock is a bit derpy. You can use norm tweak tool to change the settings on that uh, in terms of doing 24 hour format. Um, I'm assuming you discovered Raven, right?
1: Yeah, of course. And in fact, that's reminded me of another thing: is that um, in the top right, you've got um, bring in Raven, and yet that shows the the time correctly and, and the uh, brief calendar um, and your sound settings and stuff. I like, I like that one place for all of that um, sort of key information. And then in the top right-hand corner, you have uh, the shortcut icons for like sound and Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, uh, notifications, and things. And it's quite nice that if you hover your mouse over it it sort of pops up a little uh, info bubble of maybe the volume or what Wi-Fi you're connected to, I can't quite remember, those sorts of things. But as you work your way along, when you get to the notification one, nothing pops up. And then as you carry on past it, it forgets that it's supposed to be popping up and nothing else pops up. So the only thing I could think was that you just shuffle the notification to the left so that all your pop-ups come and the notification one can just, you know, sit on the sideline being an idiot. So
0: we're, we're both essentially telling them what to do now, aren't we? This yeah, uh, this yeah, is yeah. what your distro should be like. So It's good this. It's, it's like on Linux Ladoes, we never had like anyone to actually directly speak to. We would just criticize people and moan <laughs> and that <laughs> and then hope they heard it.
3: So do you mean like the the click pop over menus? Like you click and then you can just move between them, like kind of like a menu bar, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the notification one is the only one that doesn't have one. It used to be like back in Budgie 8 days, it used to actually house the notifications themselves. So it's it's almost like a legacy artifact that's left over from the old Budgie days. It's one of the things we want to go because it was a really nice idea at first. It's like, we'll have this notifications bell. Like if you miss a notification, we'll just leave. I hate it. I hate it so much with its big red glary face just staring at me,
1: spoiling all of my screenshots. I hate it. (laughs) It it, it mocks me. Shift it to the left so it's the most outbound one and then you won't notice it doesn't have a a flyover. You know you can move them, right? Uh, Okay, I didn't get that far. (laughs) I just
3: just got annoyed. (laughs) Right, which is, again, usability problems with Budgie, which I intend to address in the next version.
0: Yeah, like the fact that the um the Raven sidebar thing looks like a fucking logout
3: icon. <laughs> it kinda does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look like that with the ARC icons or the new Solus icon theme. Do you see how I dropped that in there?
1: Slick. Okay. Okay, we have we've gone around there. So talking about new Solus, uh, hit us with the news. Yeah, so
3: you know how Boji Ten is all like using Gnome and GTK. But G11 won't. It's going to be cute or cute. Oh, it's going to be gorgeous. Yeah. (laughs) See? (laughs) (laughs) See?
0: So, does this mean that uh, Phelan will be able to start using it? No,
3: no, he's still banned. That's fine. (laughs) That's fine. Uh, I haven't found sufficient funding to support the Lens Flare plugin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, jokes aside, like, you know, it's no secret I've been kind of publicly against using cute for things and for, for me most of that is based around the fact that i don't really like c++ at all but it's kind of got to a point now it's like well you know it's just the language don't do dumb shit and it's kind of boiled down to that for me now i mean budgie's been around for three years it started off on gnome 3.10 and, you know, Gnome's trying to build their own thing, and I'm trying to build my own thing, but I'm trying to use their stuff as if it's okay to use that stuff. Once upon a time, that was true. Nowadays, it's not, so there's a lot of problems in Budgie just for the fact it's pretending to the rest of the Gnome stack that it is Gnome when it's not. That's how things like keyboard shortcuts are working, because it's pretending to be Gnome Shell. There's a lot of this spaghetti code holding whole thing together, so I've got sick of it. And what I wanted to do for Body11 was to get away from all that. And I said, well, I'm going to rewrite it because I hate Valor with a passion. Yeah. And I thought, well, if I'm rewriting it, why don't I evaluate all of the options? And yeah, am going to use Cute for it. Didn't go down well with everybody, though. Because you said you were going to, uh, you originally said
0: that you were going to sort of uh, use all Gnome apps and everything. And it was mm. just the, the
3: minimal Cute that you could. But you seem to be backtracking on that <laughs> now. <laughs> I I don't mind using the non-applications. There are going to be some we're going to have to replace, like, irregardless. They're just going to have to be replaced. So in terms of usability problems, one of the biggest ones is Raven itself. Now, Raven as a concept, as a sidebar, yeah, it's kind of cool. But for putting sentence in there, no, that's not good. I mean, when you start to have wide character locales, so like if you've got a Chinese traditional Chinese simplified, Raven grows about four feet (laughs) to try and fit the text on the screen. (laughs) So stuff in the sentence there wasn't a very good idea. What it needs to be is just notifications and, you know, quick view passive information, you know, like news feeds or, you know, system information, weather, that's what would be perfect for that applets that you can just look at and just dismiss them and not have to focus on them things that need your attention all the time should be up on the panel itself the settings are going to be completely removed and we'll have a new like system settings application that encompasses all the desktop stuff as well as the usual crop of you know users and accounts and that kind of stuff in there so no control center guys like that will be removed as it were from budgie and like from this kind of
0: user's perspective uh, apart from the changes that you mentioned there, like, is it going to be much different
3: looking? Well, we are aiming for a new look with Budgie 11, regardless. I mean, you're going to have the same kind of layout. So you're going to have, you know, like you're going to have your panel, you're going to have your menu, which is going to be more largely inspired by Brisk, which is weird because Brisk started out inspired by Budgie and Cardapio. But let's face it, Brisk is a lot better than Budgie menu, right? <laughs> even if it didn't search for videos before. Which has yeah. just been fixed.
0: <laughs> Can't you uh, just use the uh, whisker menu, please? <laughs> troll, troll, troll. How many times have you had that? Too many. I
3: mean, yeah. <laughs> Pretend I didn't hear that, Joe. <laughs> um, how,
0: how many times have you had to explain the difference between GTK 2 and 3?
3: Oh, God. It's. It, no. no, I just can't even bring myself to explain it. It's like we're building this new thing. Oh, that's great! Yeah. Why didn't you use Whisker? It it's for GTK too. It doesn't matter. It kind of fucking does. Well, you, you could you could fix it. You could contribute to it. It's for another desktop, dickhead. You <laughs> no, you just can't get it through to people, and you start getting frustrated with them for being frustrated with you. You can see I've had this conversation a couple of times now. Yeah. yeah. Can, can we just have a complete tangent for a oh, second? yeah, go on.
0: Xfce, um, like that. From what you've said about uh, the whisker menu and stuff, mm-hmm. Xfce doesn't sound like it has a, a great future. It's.
3: I mean, it has a future. It's, it certainly has a future. It's just taken a long time to get there. I mean, me personally, I like things with high cadence, you know, ambitious goals, and XFC is playing it safe. now. I, yeah, well, I, that's what I like. I like stability and sure, playing it safe. But, you know, dinosaurs died out. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm just saying. Now, I did try and get in contact with these guys a couple of years ago, and I said, look... If you're willing to part over to GTK3, I'll give you a hand. Because I just recently joined the GNOME Foundation at the time. I know, sore, ironic. Moving on.
1: <laughs> just skipping right past the home.
3: Um, you know, and I said to them, look, I, I will help you do it. And at the time, they just couldn't decide what they wanted from the desktop. Some of them wanted Q, some of them wanted GTK, some of them wanted to stay on GTK2. Some of them wanted to fork GTK2. Oh, that's and- a big, big thing to do. Yeah, that's a huge undertaking. And because there was no cohesive movement within the unit, if you like, there there wasn't an overriding decision coming from anyone. It's not like in Budgie, where we all sit down and said, right, but you know what, this is what's happening. Bollocks to the current situation. We have to do something about it. Now, yes, Budgie is a lot smaller and a lot less significant than XFCE. But we came to a decision, and we're committing to that decision. And for better or worse, we'll go for it. XFC just couldn't drag to that decision. And drag is the operative word here. I offered my help, and I I said to him, look, I'll help you port it to GTK3. And it's basically like, mm, we're not sure we're going with that. Almost two years later, then it started coming up. There was reference in my original link on the mailing list, and it started coming up for Onyx. We're now porting to GTK3. Nearly two years from my first prompting email, just to come to the mm. decision to start. So... Once they get into motion and they're all committed to the same path, that they're all on the same page, then, yeah, they can. They have a great future. But at the moment, they are stuck on an old toolkit. And don't forget, they don't support high DPI. Mm. For many people nowadays, that is... A, it, to many people, that's inexcusable from their perspective because it's so prevalent now. And it is an old busted toolkit. Don't get me wrong, GTK3 does some really fucking dumb stuff. But... <laughs> You, you've got to you've got to adapt or die, and I'm scared that they might die. Well, I'm scared as well because it's what I use exclusively and you use it at work, don't you? Yeah. So when I'm doing my clarinonic stuff, it's it always Xfce that we use there, and I like the setup I've got on it, and the the main way that I use it. Sometimes I will go on local on there, but because I've got this desk set up in this particular way, I like to remote into that. Now, something like XFT is absolutely brilliant for that because it's lightweight enough. You wouldn't really want to remote into something like Budgie or Gnome Shell because they are heavier. They're composited. There's shadows. There's transparency. There's all this stuff that just makes it inefficient for a network transport. XFC is like, bam, instant, there you go. Yeah, and that's why I like it. I don't want all that bullshit. <laughs> exactly. So for, I mean, in terms of like uh, network administration and things like that, having that remote desktop there where you have that XFC system, I think that's a beautiful place for it. And I'm, I'm kind of hoping now that they're all more or less on the same page because I, I, I couldn't see a project like XFC evaporating. It's just, it's too much a part of our culture now for it to just bugger off. I, I hope you're right because i really
0: want to keep using it I, I like it i like the whisker menu it's just it's exactly what i need it to be mm. and yeah okay mate is good as well but i'm just used to xfce you know I, I could move to i could move to loads of other desktops but i just keep coming back to xfce no matter what i try i always come back to yeah it. but but anyway we uh we're supposed to be talking about solus. Oh right, uh, yeah. <laughs> but again, but I don't want this to turn into the solus podcast. So, mm. uh like on the the GTK uh to to cute move, uh anything any other key points to mention or can we move on and talk about wayland?
3: Uh well, I mean it's going to look better and perform better. That's basically the main goals. That's the driving decision behind it. For the users it should be a transparent upgrade and it's just for the sake of improvement. That's basically all yeah. there is to say on that.
0: Fair enough. So, Wayland, you, you kind of just dropped in <laughs> to uh, a blog post. Like I did No, that. actually, it's in, it's in the About, They're isn't
3: just it? It's We've got an About page now. <laughs> Wayland.
0: <laughs> yeah. Which you, the About page, you didn't specify white as the background color. And so my, uh, it's a long story. But if you don't specify that, I can't read the text on it. So you should fix that.
3: Yeah, I will talk to Josh about that. I, I, I don't do web. I'll, I'll talk to yeah. Josh about
1: that. All. What does your browser do that doesn't have white as the default? Ah, uh, it's uh, basically
0: it's this Firefox profile that I've got is so old that it's been copied from machine to machine, and at one point I had a machine that had a dark theme, ah. and uh, it just it it makes anything white great and i've tried to fix it and i'm just too thick basically to make it if i if i if i fix that aspect of it then it breaks other stuff and makes the whole browser look shit and it also it's good it's sort of my it tells me when people have done lazy um web web dev yeah yeah look on the positive (laughs) side lazy css Ah, (laughs) so anyway wayland right that Mm. is a massive thing i mean that's bigger than moving to q probably if to make it actually work properly mm. i mean that th- that presumably has got to be fairly long term goal no nope.
3: <laughs> <laughs> proper wow. ticket They're like no no <laughs> just do not even think about it. No, what we're going to be doing is going to be leveraging over technology. So I looked at the challenges for Budgie 11, and obviously one of them is dropping Mother because you can't just pick and choose which parts, you know, you leave, you're not coming back, you know. So you don't just pick and choose which bits you want. And for me, Mother's not doing what I want. So I looked at the challenges of creating a window manager slash compositor. Creating an X11 compositor, very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. Then I looked into it and I thought, hmm, aren't there cute libraries for this? And yes, there is. There is the uh, the cute Wayland library, which provides the cute compositor, which you can build on top of. And as of 5.8, also <laughs> supports NVIDIA 364 outputs. So I thought, why don't we focus only on Wayland, get it right there, And then we'll use something like Compiz for the fallback X11 session. So we have the X11 compositor already sorted, which, by the way, we're probably going to use in 10.3 because Budgie WM is a steaming pile of shit and torments my existence. (sighs) Did
0: you just say Compiz? I did. Uh, I know,
3: I know. And I'm not talking about Can has Wobbly Windows, In just for the sake of a compositive perspective. It wouldn't hmm. necessarily have to be Compiz, but it's just one of the things that are on the card. Basically, use an existing compositor as a fallback. Uh, instead of going right in something that does Wayland and does X11, because then you've got a messy code base, and this is actually the same code. the The cute Wayland stuff is being worked on by the guys over at Leary OS, and the projects that they used to be like Maui Linux and that before they merged, so we'd use that core library, which is now stable as of 5.8, to power the Waylandy bits for it. So it actually saves us a lot of work.
0: And how long is it going to take? I know you don't give ETAs the rest of it.
3: <laughs> I mean, surely it's, it's going to take like months to do that. Well, it's probably going to take a couple of months. Yeah. I mean, to get it right. Uh, in terms of preview, obviously a lot sooner than that. And I'm going to have to start doing nightly builds and stuff. Yeah. But before you push it
0: into the like the main stable, you know, what I downloaded and put on my Chromebook, for example, like it's
3: got to be properly right, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, we, we can't fuck this up because there is a lot of problems that do exist in Budgie 10. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to gloss over them. The Budgie menu does some really stupid stuff because at the time I thought it was the right decision, like menu sorting. It's, it's just dumb. It shouldn't be remembering the order. It should just be giving you search results, search results in a natural order, like Brisk does. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Raven shouldn't have the settings in there. You should be able to have a panel anywhere on any monitor. Not just follow the primary monitor. You know, there's all these little mistakes that have to be corrected, but we were going to rewrite it anyway. So for Budgie 11, up or down, we were dropping Gnome. That part was never up for question. The part that became new was the, the cute Whalen stuff. So I wanted to get away from Valor and go for C. I wanted to get rid of things like, uh, Mother and uh, Gnome settings team and and pretending to be Gnome shell because, you know, it's architecturally embarrassing the, the hacks and glue that are in place. So it would have been a lot of work anyway, but now I've now I can do it in a way where everybody benefits and we stop lying to ourselves about using GTK as if it's the right solution for us. It's the right solution for projects? Yes. For this project? No. Okay.
0: And um <laughs> inevitably, budgie's been forked. The
3: bastards. That they just I, f- I fucking knew it would happen as well I knew it would happen and then someone's like oh look Budgie's been forked I said yeah and no, all that's happened I was like no Budgie's been forked <laughs> so when they clicked on it and it had the audacity to say to keep GTK free and Vala." yeah you favorite bearing yeah. in mind Vala. <laughs> bearing in mind Valor it transpiles into C which is then compiled into a native binary they want to keep that they want to keep the thing that's actually one of the core problems with budgie they then want to keep it so one of the main wins for us going with q is to actually get things running on the gpu so we actually get efficient animations efficient acceleration you know because graphics processing unit it's kind of good at that stuff at the moment things like the raven animation that's all 2d on the cpu uh, all the compositing that you see as part of Raven, as part of the panel, again, all of that's on the CPU. Any animations within the Raven panel, again, CPU bound. We want to move it all onto GPU and make it better, which I think is a reasonable goal, you know, using the right hardware for the job. But no. What if you haven't got a GPU? You, you, you do. <laughs> like even on my, so I got a little Intel here. still got onboard graphics, you know. Yeah. That will do. That will do. Oh uh, yeah, it's sort of part of the CPU, isn't it? Yeah, it's a system-on-chip, but appa- as opposed to doing literally 2D paths on the CPU itself, you know, not actually using any of the OpenGL operations, which you kind of think you would do with a desktop shell if you're trying to do animations and things and have things nicely composited and efficient. And that's what I want to do. But no, some gobshite... <laughs> right? And I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to say I don't know what else to call you because if you're going to go and fork something to keep it deliberately broken, you, my friend, are you a fucking moron.
0: <laughs> but don't and hold back was on it me. going to
3: be was it going to be called as well? Cludgy, <laughs> I don't know. Paris. Yeah, Canary. <laughs> I <laughs> I've no idea. Broken. But I I can't see it getting any. It's not going to gain any traction because the thing is, people know about Budgie, The the main driving force behind Budgie is basically me. Whatever way you want to look at, we have people who are invested in Budgie, but I'm the main guy committing things. And you know, you're gonna back the horse that's gonna win. He yeah. has no horse.
0: Right. Well, that's enough solo spoilers. Yeah, please, please don't, no, I don't want don't to have any I, I'm more not even gonna things. tell you. I've got
3: other things happening. I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna tell anyone. I'm just gonna turn back up a year and say, did these things? Let's move on.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. Right, well, uh, yeah, that'll do it for episode three then. Um, so I suppose we'll be back in a couple of weeks with episode four. And uh, until then, see you later. Hey, goodbye all. Bye. Slon.
2: What? <laughs> what do you mean, what? What did you say? <laughs> Slon. I, I said goodbye like in Irish. Jesus. Bit of multicultural, Joe. <laughs>
3: Sorry, was uh, he supposed to suffix that with mate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Slow oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh don't <laughs> <laughs> In it-